Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Defending. It's a topic we discuss so often in football, but do we really understand the mechanics of it? You can look at every single goal we've conceded a day and you're scratching your head as if to say, goodness me, how poor was our defender? Every goal that is scored is analysed for mistakes by markers. Bill Jones got done on the header from Harry Kane on the first. The second, Smalling stepped up and left Herrera, who's then made the mistake for the second. And the third, Chris Smalling's got skipped past from Mara. Recovery tackles are celebrated more than intelligent positioning. The amount of times he actually gets them out of trouble with his pace. We get caught up in cliches and fail to appreciate the decision-making process, rarely looking beyond just the final error during a passage of play. I've long wanted to gain a greater perspective of what it's like to be part of a backline, especially at the heart of it. Joining me on Between the Lines is a man very well versed in exactly this. Julian Lescott with the touch, Manchester City lead. He was player of the season twice at Wolves and got the player's player honour twice at Everton. And would you believe it, he's Everton's leading scorer this season. It's his fourth goal already, the defender. Oh, and then he only went and lifted the league twice with Manchester City. Jolien Lescott is our guide to the art of defending. Jolien, thanks so much for being our oracle on defending. But you didn't actually see yourself playing at the back. Ian Wright was your hero growing up and you fancied yourself as a striker. Are there any defenders who actually wanted to become one when they were a kid? Um, Probably back when I was younger now, everyone wanted to play forward and then as you got older, you realised there was better people at playing that and then your your understanding of the game was better suited to to defending. To defend so um, I'm not sure I know anyone that was was a defender from like under 10s, 11s and then stayed there. Uh, it was normally everyone was strikers in the league, academies, and then you... you, you you started off in the position you recruited in and then you just filtered back. Probably only goalkeepers is probably the only position that you actually stayed in. It's actually quite fascinating you mentioned that because positions sometimes can happen by chance. That's so common. Uh, you dropped into midfield and then at Wolves, the centre half was ill one week. They'd asked you to fill in. 
What was that initial adjustment like moving into defense? And did you think at the time it was only going to be temporary? Well, that was it. When I first went to Wolves, um, I was brought in as a midfielder. Another like icon idol was Paul Linson. He was like the person I modeled my game on. Because again, back then it was 4-4-2. So you just box to box midfielders and... I got I got signed or recruited as a midfielder, and then, um, like you said, one of the defenders that had been there for a bit longer than me was ill um, for a couple of weeks, and I was going to play there, but I was happy to play there. It was my first kind of experience of an academy, so just to be part of it was was fine. And then after the two weeks has has come, and there's he's back fit. Uh, and I'm still back there. And as they're saying, oh, we, we kind of see your long-term future there. Uh, and as as well as I was potentially doing it at the time, I just wasn't enjoying it. So I was like, nah, this isn't for me. So I chose to leave. I was like, I just want to play midfield. I I, but above all, I want to enjoy it. And if I'm not enjoying it, it doesn't matter where I'm going to play. There's no point in me going. So took that decision um, and then just, just got back into playing grassroots, school team, as many games as I could play in, but none of them was at the back. Is that actually quite a difficult thing as as a kid? Like when you're still quite young and still growing into the game, you know, you've got an idea of, of what your position is, what you like doing, and then you get told, hang on, actually, that's not the vision we have for you. Is that quite an odd thing to digest at, at a young age still. Yeah, it was for me. Um, again, it's, I think there's a bit more rotation now throughout the academy. So you, you probably do play multiple positions and just experience it for various reasons. But at the time you kind of was recruited as a, as a position or a player. And then you played in that position and developed that position and as I said, like the enjoyment of, of playing centre-half wasn't there for me. I just didn't enjoy doing it. Um, I, I wanted to run around, basically. I, I enjoyed being able to run the length of the field, run back, tackle, score goals, all the other things that come with, with being in midfield. Um, and it, that was my sole decision was just to, to enjoy it. And then my last year of school, obviously I realised I wanted to become a footballer and um, my school teacher had been telling me like, you're not going to be a midfielder. Like if, if you're going to be a footballer, it's going to be at the back. Um, and then I kind of realised that was, that was where it was at. So I kind of stuck to that position then and realised this is, this is where I'm going to have a future. And, and again, it wasn't like I wasn't enjoying it then I'd realised then um, I also realised I was I was good at it and obviously as a kid when you when you're good at something you enjoy doing it don't you yeah exactly what actually shocked you about the position at first because obviously you know you get told do the basics right get right side of your man all those kind of simple terminologies that get used for it but when you're actually adjusting to it and having to to function as a defender what was like whoa this is actually quite deep this is a lot to get my head around I don't know um good question but I don't, I don't know if I ever thought 
there was a thing like that. I just, as I said, the more the more detail I was given or things I was asked to do, the more in, enjoyment I got out of it. So as it got kind of more in depth and there was more like elements to it and the art of it kind of was developing. Uh, again, I probably started at Venera where you just had to defend, head it, clear it and stuff like that. But then it was starting to become a, a thing where you was getting on the ball and you was passing in between the lines. So I kind of experienced that at a young age. And again, that was now the enjoyment was there because that was the, the midfield element I enjoyed being on the ball and being able to pass. So enhance my enjoyment but also being like enjoy the defending side of it like being able to to read the situation when other uh when forwards are getting it and what they want to do and stop that and prevent it from happening and again with with playing there you're facing different different types of strikers um so again it was the kind of before analysis was around, you, you'd turn up on a Saturday with a youth team or whatever reserves and you didn't know who you were playing against. So you just got out there and you there was no kind of footage of him playing the week before. So it was just like, oh, figure it out in 10 minutes because it's the game. So the first 10 minutes you figured out who you were playing against, what his strengths were, what his weaknesses were, and you just had to kind of deal with it. How much do the demands of the position change based on the forward you'll be up against. Marking a Sergio Aguero is a whole different sport to marking a Peter Crouch. Yeah, again, it varies for for whatever reason that be. Um, but at, at the highest level, there's always a very high level of intelligence and technical ability. So them things are consistent throughout. But as you said, you just kind of have to now recognise with the help of, of analysts um, have to, to, to recognise what they do and don't like to do and try and create scenarios that they're not comfortable. Um, like growing up and, and playing, I always kind of felt that out of, the, say, the four possible main attributes that people would look at, um, whether it be technique, tactical, um, physical and intelligence. Um, it was like, as long as I felt I was on top with two of them, two, three of them, I, I would be okay. Um, and that was the case pretty much throughout uh, my youth career. And then the first experience I, I, I got when I knew there was a another level was it against Louis Saha at Fulham when he really gave me... Uh, he really let me know there was a, there was another level. And that was mainly due to um, tactical and understanding and intelligence because physically I could, I could match people. Um, but even that day I wasn't able to match him physically, but also his, his intelligence around it. And it made me really know there's a lot more depth to it. So how did you change then after that experience against Luis Saha? I just, be, to be honest, I came a bit professional after that. Uh, everything um, and it just as I said I just didn't want to be in a position where I wasn't in control like again there's going to be people that are faster than me a better technically than me tactically than me but I just hadn't experienced someone that was all of them on one given time so it made me just 
enhance all of them things and it just I just took a logical approach to I'm enhancing mine so everyone else is going to have to enhance theirs and if they are doing that then it's it's a great contest have you ever thanked him no I, I've always like I've always said he, he's the best player I've ever played against um and it was uh he probably the first time I I spoke to him was when he joined Everton and I just said to him then like that time I, I honestly made me feel like I wasn't going to be able to compete at the level and this was the championship this wasn't even in the premier league so as i said it was just it was just a crazy thing to to experience and again it wasn't like that was the first bad game i'd ever had i'd had bad games before but it wasn't due to it was due to making mistakes where in that game i didn't make any mistakes i just i just wasn't in control of anything so again that's why why i was able to realize you spoke about making mistakes there do you think one of the key things, especially as a defender, where an error can be so critical, is that you have to learn how to psychologically deal with it, put it behind you, just carry on and not let it affect your mindset in the game? Oh, 100%. Um, everyone will make a mistake. The best players make them less often and they're able to deal with it um, better. And that, that is the difference. It, it sounds pretty simple, but you, you just look and think like th there's going to be an incident where a defender is at fault for a goal. Um, and how often is he making that decision depends on how well he's viewed. Um, like if we look at, say, John Stones, to the mistakes he was making... Um, in the last couple of seasons, he's just not making them anymore. And it's not that he's doing anything exceptional. He's just not making them, them mistakes. And that's the difference. And all of a sudden, he's back to where we all believed he was and could be. How difficult is it to get that psychological conditioning right when you have made a critical error? What are the steps to not let it get to you? Um, a good uh, support network is key is key um, because again it's it's it is difficult you, you don't want to make them errors you don't it, it, you don't intentionally decide to to let someone go past you and, and concede and stuff like that so it is difficult but you just have to do the right things as long as you're making a mistake in the right way because there is that is a thing you, you decisions and mistakes can be can be unfortunate, but there are mistakes that you choose to do and that you shouldn't be doing. Like, for instance, I, I as a young player, wanted to play. There was a time and a place when to do that. So there's a couple of times I remember my, one of my old coaches, a mentor of mine, Terry Connor, um, used to criticise me for wanting to bring it down. And it wasn't because I was doing it, it's because it was the wrong area. And he was saying, that's... That's the mistake. The mistake isn't you trying to control it. The mistake is where you're trying to control it. And then he, he would help me understand where that was a strength and where it would be the weakness. And again, it's just helping. He just helped me understand that, um, not that he wanted to take it away. And he just helped me develop the decision-making process, which for me is arguably the most the most important aspect of, of any any player, where it be whether they be physically dominant 
their decision making is key to to what how successful they are. If they make the right decisions more often than not, they will be successful. And that isn't the decision of well, I've seen a Kevin De Bruyne play that pass. Let me play it. No, it's the best decision for your capabilities. That's an interesting point because on the last episode of Between the Lines, we had the Gladbach assistant coach, Rene Merrick, on the show. And he said a manager's job is not to win games. Players do that. And managers have to give you the framework to try and make the best decisions on the pitch. Which manager have you felt has given you that? Glenn Huddle. Glenn Huddle, he, he came to Wolves... And he, even when I hear him now talk to, about football, he's, he, for me, he's the best pundit. Whenever he talks about it, it's so, it's so detailed, but so simple, which is an art. And he's obviously had that from, from when he played because he came to Wolves and he made me view the game in a way that hadn't been explained. And also offered me detail to my position, again, that hadn't, that hadn't been given, made me understand there was a there was a level of of professionalism that needed to to be had and maintained, and not just on a Friday day before a game and then on a Saturday, it was consistent. I absorbed the most information from him, and again, I don't know if it was just because I was able to understand the way he was speaking, but even when he was addressing other positions it made sense. Positions I'd never played, but it made sense what he was saying. And it was just logical. And I just thought, he's, it's not, he's not using crazy terms or, or words or phrases. It was just, no, look at it from this point of view. If you do this, this only leaves him with that option, which means then you are in control of this situation. And I was just like, wow, that's how simple the game can be. And then it's down to the individual to make the right decisions. That's brilliant. Actually, Huddle's name comes up quite a bit when you speak to players. Are you then surprised that he hasn't had more opportunities in management? Yeah. Um, I would have loved to have worked with him later on in my career um, when, I, when I was probably at the peak, physical peak and intelligence-wise. Um, it would have been great to, to, to understand that again. I was 21 when he was at Wolves. And that was the first time I'd, we'd ever analysed opposition. We analysed our own games and the opposition. And again, that was new then. People weren't doing that. Um, pre-activation, like before training, was, was kind of new. Well, it was very new. So there was a lot of things that he was bringing in that I just hadn't experienced Um and by the time I was, they were normal standards, I would have loved to have the opportunity to see if there was anything else he would have been able to enhance me, uh, my thought processing. Now, it's quite something to be player of the season as a defender, but yeah. you kind of made a habit of that. <laughs> so in your words, how would you describe the art of being a good defender? Um, oof. Describe the art. Um, just making it as difficult as you can for the opposition and being a team player. There's, there's great individual defenders. I've played with some. Uh, I've seen some. 
But for me, it was, yes, I may have received accolades at certain times in my career, but can I help my teammates? Can I not let them be exposed? If, if, if I can prevent something from happening, do so. And if I can prevent it happening to them or for them, then again, do so where I've seen and I still see it now, defenders not make choices based on it's not their fault. Like if this goes wrong, it won't be my fault. And I'm thinking that's not the way to defend. The defender is okay. If if I can help him, we, we go down together rather than that's not my man. And that was a that was always a conscious decision. Like I I've got no problem making honest mistakes. If it was the right thing to do and it was the wrong execution, that's okay. It was when it's the wrong thing you should be doing. You shouldn't be doing that. And even if the execution is okay, I'd be like, I know I shouldn't be doing that. How much did the requirements of the position change from Wolves to Everton to Manchester City? Um, they probably changed the most Everton. Again, the level was high. It was the, it was the Premier League, so obviously the whole detail of it, the, the attributes of the players um, was different to what I'd experienced. Again, playing in the in the Championship, I was able to. I always believed physically I was I was going to be better than my opponent, even before we got on the pitch. And then nine times out of ten, I could I could. I was more kind of tactically aware and being that would have allowed me to take chances I shouldn't take um, because I knew when physically I'd get out of trouble but I was inst- I was instantly aware that wasn't going to be the case in the Premier League physically I no I wasn't going to be guaranteed to be better than anyone else um, tactically definitely not um, so I kind of realised that early on. Um, and then obviously playing fullback. And as much as early on I didn't I didn't enjoy playing as a defender, I loved 1v1. That was that was the best part of being a defender was you versus someone else. And that was that was why I enjoyed uh, playing as a fullback. Not so much getting forward and I, I scored some goals there. They were the things that I just did because it was part of the, the structure of the team. But I love being faced at 1v1 and be saying, okay, now it's me versus you. There's no one else to there's no one else to, to, to help or support. It's just you versus me and then who comes out on top. And then at Manchester City, where the expectation is then to win things and to win it immediately, did that alter the way you, you saw your game? Um, no, not really. I, again, I just, I even think it now when we expect people to go to a new club or a higher level and do something different. I was just in the mindset of, well, you've, you've bought me because I can do these things. If I do these things at this club, it will be viewed as a, a more positive. But I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to do more. I just have to be able to do what I've been doing. Yes, it may be more frequent and the, again, the level will go up if we reach Champions League, which it did, but it's doing the same things just at different levels. 
again, I don't know if that makes sense to everyone, but to me, that was my thought process of obviously just do what I've been doing. And if the level is higher, then then great. Like if if you analyse it and say, if say it gets go back to to John Stones, if he does what he's been doing in the Euros, he will arguably be one of the best defenders in the Euros. But we're not asking him to do any more. Just do what you've been doing and just keep it at that level and make sure that the decisions you're making are consistent. And that was kind of my process was, well, I've done something at Everton. I've made these decisions at Everton. It's worked. Again, the Premier League was, was similar. In the greatest respect, I was going to be with better players. So I probably have to make them less often because we have the ball more. Um, and it's only really the Champions League when I'm like, now we're at a level where the players are better. And again, you're not guaranteed to be more intelligent, um, physically better. So just be more aware. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Stakhanov's award-winning football mockumentary, The Offensive, is available to listen to now. After securing Premier League survival last season... Ashwood City have a new boss. The new manager, Sven Goran Eriksson. I am delighted to be the new head coach at Ashwood City Football Club. But unfortunately, the same old chief executive. Oh, fuckity, fuckity, fuck, fuck. Stupid comments from an ex-player chanting, make Ashwood great again. Big fucking deal. You know, if he thinks that any of those empty words have had even the slightest impact on Patrick Nolan, MBE, then he is dreaming. Stupid. Follow Ashwood City on and off the pitch every Premier League match week. I can't even get easy peelers in my local MS at the moment, Sven, let alone a fullback from Rail Sossier, Dad. I just have a list of players I'd like to bring into your squad. <sighs> okay, well, let me know when you have a list of players you'd like to bring out of the squad. 
described by The Guardian as a must-listen for football fans. We lied about the corona test result. We isolated our two informed players to stop them playing for England and now we've asked Man City Football Club to bribe the Premier League on our behalf. I didn't actually ask them to. I asked if they wanted to. It's the same fucking thing. Search The Offensive on your favourite podcast player and listen now. Oh, now then, Cissé's in behind. Can change it. One chance equalises. What a moment. Speaking of City, and we touched on mistakes earlier, were you relieved that your mistime header, which let Cissé equalise for QPR, wasn't the defining moment in that game? That we did have the Aguero. Oh, yeah, obviously. I was like, that is one of the highlights of my career that moment um, the kind of mistake it wasn't great obviously but I, I was able to deal with that at the time because like I said before it wasn't something I wasn't trying I shouldn't have done I wasn't trying to bring it down and got caught out it was a mistimed header that I should have I should have um, gone for and that was the difference so I, I as I know, as I said, like my, my mentor earlier on made me aware of that mistakes are going to happen. It's just what type of mistake are you making? And again, off the back of that, I went onto the Euros and scored a goal for my country. And we got to the quarterfinals of the Euros. So I didn't, I didn't even think about it at all, to be honest. Not that I was dismissive to it. I, I was just like... It was a mistake. Like I'd made mistakes previous in previous games. Um, I'd made worse mistakes. I probably made worse decisions in the Euros. But again, they didn't lead to goals, and that's that's what I try and say to players now that I work with. Don't wait for it to lead to a goal in order for you to learn from that. Like if you can learn from your mistakes before they've gone to a goal, or you can watch someone else and say, "I wouldn't make that decision." then you're learning faster than everybody else because everyone says learn from your mistakes and that could be the last one you make and you could be at the team and that could be the consequence. Do you get annoyed with the way the game is analysed sometimes because the focus is often on the final mistake rather than the errors in the build-up, you know, maybe in midfield or from the strikers? There's also no differentiation between a mistake where you've, just messed up and made a bad decision or where you've made the right decision but the execution's not come off yeah very much so like like as you said then mistake and a decision they're different things like let's talk about Arsenal Wolves um, and David Luiz like David Luiz give away a penalty that's the mistake the decision but for me when I'm looking at that goal I'm looking at decision holdings made and the way he's narrowed off and allowed not allowed but let the the passing angle be be bigger for the ball to be played into that's a bigger mistake for me so i'm saying david louise he hasn't meant to do that doesn't doesn't like you can see he's trying to avoid it but holdings made the decision to to go inside and let that ball go there and again no one's going to look at that and think he made that mistake because he wasn't the last mistake made. 
So again, like you're saying, yeah, that is a frustration that there are a lot of instances where the, the final execution is deemed the worst. And I'm saying there's a lot more that happens before that. And most of the time, it's the penultimate decision that is the bigger error. You've been involved in post-match analysis as a player with the manager and the backroom team. You've sat and watched it on TV. And now you're actually involved in the panel that analyzes matches. How different has the experiences been from a player to the analysis you are now involved in on TV? Yeah, it's a lot less emotional, obviously, on TV. You're trying to trying to give, a, well, I try to give a, a diplomatic view of why the, it occurred, but also I, you can't stop every, you can't stop a goal, for instance, because it wouldn't be a goal if you could stop it, but there's not everything is preventable anyway. So I, I think the kind of analytical side from a punditry point of view has solely become, well, who was that fault? Who Whose fault was that? And it's not always the case. Some players are better than others at their role in the team. So we just have to appreciate that. Um, but as a, as a manager, as a coach, and as, a, as someone that works with players, I, I, well, I, tended, I tended to hold myself accountable for everything and work backwards. So I could have prevented that. What could I have done? And then be really kind of strict on, you couldn't have done that. So let's not overanalyze it and that's the way I kind of work or ask the players I work with to, to view it and say well we'll look at especially defenders say well let's look at every goal and say you could prevent it you're at fault for every goal and then we'll look back and say well what really was you at fault for rather than that wasn't my man maybe I could have done that um, I think accountability as a professional is huge um, for for growth and progression, um, but as a as a pundit, I think we need to, to analyze that. Just brilliance, and people are better at their roles. That's a good point because so often you'll just see a great goal and you'll marvel at it, and yet there is still always this insistence on, ah, oh, well, he's let him get away from him there, and. That's the result of bad defending. Sometimes great players just score great goals. Yeah, that is exactly what it is. And as I said, that's what it's become. I think the setup of teams has allowed that to happen more often because most teams, I, I think if you look at an average team in the Premier League now from 10 years ago, they probably are more expansive um, in terms of in possession. Um so again, you you can't have it both ways. Um, I, I remember watching a team and and a, and a player and a coach and hearing great things about them. But when I looked at, at their setup, I was like, yeah, but he's, he's never in a position to to prevent to prevent anything from happening. So the plaudits the plaudits he was getting, I was like, yeah, but if you look at it, really, he could do a lot more to prevent his team from conceding. Well, because the setup was different and he was just in a position to get on the ball all the time, which I think happens a lot. I think defenders are asked to start attacks and, and be part of that, which, yeah, which is great. 
but you're also then left in a position when it breaks down that you, you can't recover. You, you just won't be able to recover. And again, it's, it's, it's looked at, well, he shouldn't be there. No, he was asked to be there at the start, but you can't always then get back. Yeah, I was actually going to touch on that. The evolution of the position in terms of centre-backs and full-backs, where the latter has to almost be part of the attack they're your creative weapons and your centre-backs have to have the passing range of a midfielder now, which is demanding a lot more of the position. And like you say, that's bound to lead to a lot more risk and therefore more errors. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, the game's evolved and it's an entertainment and it's, it's enjoyable to watch. Yeah, we do have to, to realise that not every defender is able to do that. And... If they was, one, they probably wouldn't be at the level they're at and in or in the position they're in. If if they could play that pass nine times out of ten, they wouldn't be at the back. They, they would be in midfield. <laughs> they would be up front in advanced position. So that needs to be recognised. And when, when, I, when I hear about keepers not, not being able to play and I'm, I'm, I'm like, I understand what you're saying, but of course. So I don't get why then nine, 90%, 80% of teams try to do it when if he could do that in the greatest respect, he, he wouldn't be there. He would be at the top 2%. Which again, I don't feel is recognised enough to say, yeah, he may have made a mistake or he, he can do it in training. It's not the same. It just isn't the same. So you, you have to take that in consideration. In saying all of this, who's the most enjoyable partner you've had? Um, there's two, like like Vinny, obviously, we had a lot of success and it was great um, because we won stuff. Uh, but Jaggy Elka was, was equally as, as good for me. Um, we, we were just on the same page. We were just... It, it was just like we'd, we'd known each other well. We knew each other anyway from like under-18s, England and stuff like that. When we look at those elite players, we obviously zone in on their skill set. But do you think the leadership of those kind of players often gets ignored? Just taking Vincent Company, for example, with Manchester City. Perhaps they didn't foresee the extent of how much the team would miss not having him around, not just on the pitch, but in the dressing room and and just for his sort of guidance qualities, his persona and aura. I don't think they missed it. I I think it was understood. I think it may have been underestimated a little, Not, not through the club's point of view, but what that aura does to opposition. Like, I, I've played with Vinny, I, and when you're facing um, a striker and it was Vinny and he was at the height of his powers, they would play on me thinking, well, I'm not going to get any change out of Vinny. I'll go and play on, uh, let's go. So that was kind of where it was at. And, and, I'd, and I'd been that guy. So I'd been that player that was, well, you're not really going to get anything out of him. So let's go and play on the other one. So I think... That is underestimated. I also believe, well, I know, Vinny, um, Vinny made 
tackles that people other people wouldn't get away with. And his relationship and his persona and his aura allowed it to be a foul and rather than a yellow. And then all of a sudden you're playing on a yellow card for 80 minutes. So them other things that I'll go underestimated. Like for instance, if you look at Jesus and Sergio Aguero, they're top, top players. But not seeing Aguero has a different, different feel. Like when we played United throughout my career and there wasn't a Wayne Rooney, you were grateful. Regardless of who else was up there, the, the, the other talent they had, it wasn't Wayne Rooney. And that's probably the thing that was probably underestimated in a, from a Vinny point of view um, at the start of the season, from a David Silva point of view and Yaya Torre um, and, and possibly a Sergio. We've seen City, though, go on a, a remarkable run. They're posting elite numbers and they've erase their vulnerability, which used to be, you know, losing the ball in transition and then getting hit on the counter. They were so prone to being hurt that way. But you've seen Ruben Diaz come in now and we were talking about, you know, defenders having to be more expansive and stuff. But he's a, a more traditional, aggressive, front foot type, go and attack everything uh, player, how much of a difference has he made? He's made a massive difference. I don't know if he is that though. Again, when I, when I look at him and he's, he's been remarkable, but he hasn't been remarkable because he's doing anything that I haven't seen done before. He's just doing it more often. That's the difference. He's like, as a defender, I'm, I, I, if I was a defender playing now, I wouldn't look at Diaz and think he's doing something I can't do he's just doing it a lot more often. He's just doing the right thing every time. Like, is he, is he doing more than, say, John Stones? Is he doing anything different to John Stones? I'm not so sure. Is he doing anything different to, to anyone else when they have a good game? No, but his good games are every week. And that is the key to being a, def a good defender. is isn't what you can do that others can't. It's just how often you do the right things. And the biggest compliment I can play him is, is that he's so reliable in every aspect, whether it be heading, passing, um, clearing, but also selection is available for every game, which is, which is huge. I'm happy you, you brought up availability there because that's probably one of the most important things when you are playing at centre-back and in defence because, you know, having that consistency there is so, so vital. And then to look at Liverpool and their injury situation with all their senior fit centre-backs out injured, how destabilising is that to the system, to their solidity, and, and then the psychological effect? Because it's not just losing... Virgil van Dijk, you're losing Matip, you're losing Gomez, and you're losing the foundation of what you had as a team that made you successful. That wasn't given as an excuse last year when Man City had lost theirs and Fernandinho had then had to go into midfield. He was arguably the best holding midfielder. Same for Liverpool and Fabinho. You lose 
you don't just lose one player. As you said, the whole structure of your team is affected. Like the fact that Jordan Henderson is playing well as a centre-back, he's hindering their team because what he gives in midfield is far more valuable. But unless you have someone... And that's why I credit Liverpool for not realising they needed reliable centre-backs. Not the best centre-backs. They didn't go and buy the best up-and-coming centre-back that was available. They just went and bought people they know are going to be fit, which would allow other players to be in their best positions. And that is so important to what it's about. And, and like we said, even... I think it will matter in the, in the biggest games because you need your best players and they, for whatever reason, they perform in the best games. So if the last stage of the Champions League or possibly even the weekend when City play Liverpool, yeah, you may miss a Virgil van Dijk. But nine times out of ten, you'll probably miss a Jordan Henderson in midfield more because he's playing at the back or Fabinho. Um, and again, that was the Fernandinho situation last season. Um, in the big games, it's that aura. It's, are you playing against Virgil van Dijk? You're playing against Vincent Company. You're playing against Sergio Aguero. But if it's not them individuals, I, I don't care who you are, you're grateful. <laughs> as much as you want to face and be judged against the best, in the biggest games, you're grateful if they're not involved. Who, for you, is the best centre-back in the world? You'd have to say Van Dyke. You'd have to say that uh, Varane is up there. Um, PK, uh, as much as he gets criticised for his lack of mobility, he doesn't tend to make bad decisions. See, see, like Ramos would make more wrong decisions for me. But he's regarded as a far better player because he does other things that are noticeable, which again is is what the game has become. It's who's becoming more noticeable. And that was never the way I wanted to defend. I did to be honest, I didn't have the ability to do that anyway. Probably early in my career, but not as I got older. I realised that wasn't my strength, my ability, or my ability lighted up in other areas, which allowed other people to do what they were good at. That's a good point because often you see like a defender getting praised for making loads of recovery tackles where if they were in the right position in the first place, they wouldn't have had to. Oh, don't, don't get me started. Yeah. <laughs> Prevention is better than cure as I say. Um, like, for me, Rio Ferdinand is the best defender has ever been in the Premier League. I, I, don't, I don't think there's five instances where I've seen him slide. Like, there was never... And then you have, say, a John Terry, arguably the best as well, um, and other defenders that make last-ditch tackles. I'm like, yeah, but Rio would have seen that on the halfway line. So that pass would never even got there. That was a difference. Yeah, it's it's the highlights that catch the eye, but that's a lack of understanding oh, yeah. of, of of what the position actually entails. Yeah. As I said, prevention prevention is better than cure. 
Like there's no, there's no other way to explain it better than that. When you were learning the position and getting comfortable in it, who were the centre-backs that you looked at to try and extract things from? Um, Keith Kill was a good one for me at Wolves, being such a young player and coming through any EE. He offered me good detail, to be fair to him, in, in, in techniques more so than general play. Um, Rio was the one that, again, like I've said, was, he was the best for me. Um, Des Walker, um, again, an underrated defender for me, loved 1v1. Um, players I, I played with as well, it was, it, I played with some good players that helped me understand how to, how to be good with what I had. Not necessarily they had the same attributes, but they helped me understand like Paul Butler um, at Wolves was good. He made me aware of things that I can and can't do and shouldn't do. Um, Yap Stam was another one that I I looked at and gutted that he didn't probably stay in the Premier League longer because again, once he left, I wasn't paying much attention even though he, he did remarkable things. Um, but yeah, for me, Rio was is the greatest. I hope you all found that as illuminating as I did. Cheers for listening, for your reviews and requests for future guests. Now remember to appreciate good positioning and not just the highlights reel worthy recovery tackle. Oh, it's also a relief that it's okay to just applaud great goals and not microscopically look for faults. Between the Lines is a Stakhanov production, written and narrated by me, Melissa Reddy. Our producer is Charlie Morgan. Our assistant producer is Natalie Wilson. The executive producers are John Teague and Luke Aaron Moore. Sound design and mixing is by Tom Wally. All music comes courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.